Welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Tony Flynn. And I'm Kevin Decker. We're here in some measure of cognitive decline with episode seven of season 11, the vestigial season, the one that's like the the skin tag on the show Mm -hmm. that you figure she's going to have to be snipped off at some point, but right now it's too much work, and besides, there's something good on television. I like to think of it, by the way, Tony, as a human appendix. It doesn't really do anything. It's just a hanger-on. You pack it, and you pack it, and you pack it full of bad stuff, and hopefully eventually it falls off. Yeah, this is, I think, the season in which it bursts. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I see it bursting. Yeah. (laughs) But Kevin and I are well-intentioned and pure, so it won't be too bad. Today's episode, and you you know, I'm tired of the listeners guessing it, but you guessed correctly this Mm -hmm. time. Episode 7 is entitled, We're Perfect to a Fault. This is something Kevin and I have been having to deal with for years. Mm Mm-hmm. We get shunned. We're asked to leave parties early because everybody feels small and insignificant and barren of accomplishment compared to us. Isn't that true? It's very true. And we've had people at those very same parties say, but isn't it arrogant for you to say that? And my response has always been, what, do you think you could have come up with a better way to compliment us? Probably not. No, I don't think so. so. But that is a challenge we put before Mm -hmm. any audience compete to compliment us. You know, those same people don't realize that we used to run our own firm. Do you remember this, Tony, where we were guests for hire? Yeah. Do you remember this? We were professional guests. Professional guests earlier on the show. And that takes a lot. I mean, you don't just hire somebody who is like a wedding DJ to hang out at your vacation home. No, because just then when we worked as uh, professional guests, we would criticize their playlists, the menu, the accommodations, just whatever was in their liquor cabinet we found inadequate. And people, I think they improved under our tutelage. I think that they did, because without that challenge, they would have never thought, oh, I need to get rid of these cheap Portuguese liqueurs and get some actual exotic ones. Right. The ones from Portugal. (laughs) That's right. The medieval Portugal ones were very hard to track down, but the hosts who really understood the value of us as professional guests, they came through. That's right. So that's what you should do, listeners. Come through, mail in the compliments cash-laden if necessary, we can, as Kevin pointed out years ago, be bought. That's because we're perfect to a fault. We don't let little things like bribery or extortion stand in the way of our successes. That would be dwelling in trivialities. We focus on loftier matters like our self-regard and our reputations Mm -hmm. and how many uh, wheelbarrow loads of... (sighs) I got nothing there. How many wheelbarrow loads of good and plenty licorice candies can we extort from listeners? I love those things. They're vile. They're I the hated whole, them as a child. They're the whole reason I'm at the dentist every day now. <laughs> I liked Necco wafers. Oh, Necco wafers. Aren't those Canadian? Really? I think they're I th- just a kind of I a Yankee candy. I thought that there candy. was a whole B-grade, like sixlets, you know, Canadian candies that look like good American candies and are cheap, but... 
not. You think the Canadians make lesser candy? I know you've written so the, about the Soviets making yeah, lesser candy. Yeah, we have done that. And of course, from beet everything is from beet sugar for them. But yeah. no, the Scandinavians, the English, the Americans, and then below us, the Canadians. That's kind of the general scale of candy quality. Well, I've always been a beer and salami guy ever since I was 11. Never did take to the candy. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> and I like my sour snacks as well. For example, pickled almonds. Almonds inside a clove of garlic inside a green olive is divine. That is good, especially yeah. if there's no uh, blue cheese. Oh, there's no blue which cheese. Which has ruined an entire restaurant atmosphere. And the olive, of course, is floating with a few others in a double martini. Those are dreadful. Mm-hmm. We can drink that sort of stuff because, as we said in today's episode title, we're perfect to a fault. That's right, and we challenge you to find the fault, and you'll have to submit a little essay on why that fault is the fault, and Kevin and I will judge. But one other thing that all of you need to know that raises Kevin and me to the level that we claim to inhabit, we both like pickled herring. Oh, yeah. We will both eat pickled herring. I would have it every day. Even above the sacred Necco wafer. Yeah, and I've started, Tony, picking up the canned kippers. They call them kipper snacks. Ha! I eat that with eggs and bacon, man, just like the British. Yeah, you need the brutal protein jolt in the morning. You really do. It's like getting slapped in the face by a fish right away when you wake up. But it's a fish with many of the hooks removed. Well, we should talk about what sketches we have I suppose we should, because I was afraid if we didn't, it would suggest that we didn't have any. And this is how Kevin and I discover what's on the show. We we report. First is continuing Kevin's series, Deputized, where Sheriff Coors and Deputy Thorne Withers pull, sometimes out of bed at night, a famous citizen of Lower Heights to be a ride-along substitute volunteer deputy mm-hmm. out to solve a crime. Who do they rope in this time, Kevin? Oh, this is one where if the listener remembers this character from a short-lived series called Bad Advice Demon a few years ago that they should absolutely deputize themselves, Lydia Loveless. Lydia Loveless lives above the Quick Mart and liquor store and is riding along. So Lydia is a deputy for the day. The crime has been committed at a male strip show, and you can put two and two together yourself, listener. And it's not a pretty sight, but I think that this time Lydia Loveless solves the crime to her considerable satisfaction. She does. We then pause in the middle of the drama for a commercial about rugs. Tony, you wrote this one. Yeah, I write the short things because then I'm done sooner. It's a commercial for rugs. If you've never seen a rug, never heard of a rug, but just walk along a splintery floor, this commercial is for you. This product, a rug, is for you. So this will encourage you to buy a rug today, any kind of rug, no matter where it comes from, no matter how soiled or disgracefully pre-used. You're going to buy a rug today. Mm -hmm. It'll change your life. And then finally, we have a poignant and epic look into a man called Bambi. Tony, what happens in this episode? Yeah, this is episode seven. And what we've recently discovered, it's the final episode of a man called Bambi, the uh, man who's running through Manhattan in 1948 in October wearing an ill-fitting trench coat with the name Bambi over where the breast pocket would be. He's evading a couple of mafia goons. But in this episode, Mr. Bambi faces himself 
the voiceover version of himself. Ah, it's not making any sense, but it never did. He confronts him in the spittoon, the bar where they were separated by the novelist slash bartender, Michael, and they duke it out for possession of the trench coat. And maybe that's why it's the last one. (laughs) The trench coat turns out to be so all-important. It is, but we have no idea why, and you won't either after you listen. Welcome, listener, to Deputized, performed live before a pre-recorded audience. Oh, tut tut, we ain't got no such thing, and you know we can't perform. Speak for yourself, Sheriff Coors. This deputy podcasting gig with you is just my little old stepping stone to a contestant spot on Indonesian Idol. Yes, it's another deputized starring Timothy Oliphant. Every week, we pin the shiny deputy's badge on a new citizen of Lower Heights, and then they get to help us solve a crime. But the Timothy Oliphant part is purely aspirational, listener. Chief, who's going to get their shiny brass wings for an 18 to 20 hour period today on Deputized? Damn it, Thorn. I pay you extra every week to keep track of that. Don't ask me to announce a guest. All right, Chief, keep your pants on. Today's celebrity deputy is everyone's favorite leopard skin yoga panted home wrecker, Lydia Loveless. No time to explain, boys. You better punch it right now. Huh? What? What did I tell you? Get us out of here. Wait, why are we screaming? Somebody after you, Miss Loveless? No, I'm just breaking your balls, boys. There's nothing pursuing me. Letting off steam to celebrate getting off parole, April Fools. Sheesh, that kind of shouting activity has a real effect on one's encredent system. Uh, I'm sweating like a hard-boiled egg. Deputy Thorne, I would like to purloin your neckerchief if I might. Miss Loveless, the boss don't appreciate that type of humor. We might have run over a turtle or an armadillo just for your joke. These car seats are so dirty. Okay, could you boys hold your deputizing podcast yapping for just a moment so that we can run the Bad Advice Demon podcast credits? But I... Shut it, Grasshopper. Uh, folks at home, Thorne and Lydia have some, uh, past history together, if you know what I mean. In bed. Roll the credits. And now it's time for Bad Advice Demon Podcast, sponsored by the tequila section of the Lower Heights Corner Mart and Quick Liquor. Tonight's episode, Lydia is a sheriff's deputy. But does anyone care? Listen, you'll recall that Lydia was ushered out of her apartment above the Lower Heights Corner Mart and Quick Liquor for being a squatter. But cannily, she negotiated the price of her appearance on the Police Bumpkins podcast in terms of two complimentary nights at the Lower Heights Baymont Inn. And unlimited minibars in both rooms. And a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Lower Heights Baymont Inn. The Inn Baymont at Lower Heights. Why are the sheets so wet? And there's only one room, two nights. Without future ado, here she is. Don't even think of leaving her alone with the silver, Lydia Lovelace. If the show opener has too many words in it, Miss Lovelace, Sheriff starts falling asleep, even at the wheel. 
he describes the experience as descending into a pit of monotonous droning. I helped look him up some of the words for that. You rubes are really socking it to my podcast's ratings. I've gotten over three marriage offers, two of them from Russian oligarchs, as a result of my podcast. It's too bad you didn't accept any of those offers, Miss Loveless. I don't kiss and tell, Thorn Withers, but I hope you found a crime for me to solve on my podcast. Just to be clear, this is our podcast, and you're only recording your podcast as a guest on our podcast recording. Hmm, I prefer to remember our earlier agreement differently. Perhaps what happened instead of what you said is that I invited you and Sheriff Coors to be on my podcast, and that would become a reality if you only bought her a case of White Claw Hard Seltzer, Watermelon Lime Smash Flavor. I don't remember any agreement like that, but since you're so good at making up facts and planting evidence, you'll be a perfect forensic detective serving with the sheriff and me on a case. A case that I call the case of the stuffed socket shipping wells. What are your feelings, boys, about deputies smoking in the squad car? <coughs> I don't like it. Sheriff, wake up. Wake up! What's up here? We're still in the squad car. Glad I'm a big enough boy to wedge the steering wheel between my ample thighs. It was touch and go on that meandering stretch of rural Route 1456 back there, Chief. But you've got to enforce the anti-smoking ban against Miss Loveless here. Are you smoking a cigarette in my squad car, lady? For a while there, asleep at the wheel, I thought it was the smell of nitrate and ash, like from my days back in Nam. You were in Vietnam? I don't believe it. I didn't say Vietnam. I mean Nam Rock Police Department, three counties over. But yeah, I was kind of a snafu in Nam Rock, too, now you think about it. You mentioned the case had to do with stuffing socks. Oh, is this mystery set at the Chiffinwell's all-male dance show club in Pansy Hollow? I just saw their son pass by. Now, don't get any ideas, Lydia. One of the dancers, Chase Norton, reported that when he was taken off his work thong, he stuffed his tips into one of his socks, put the stuff in his locker, which he locked, and when he came back, it was all gone. One of those muscle guys is a thief. Locked, sock, and barely dressed, you might say. Now, <laughs> well, this is my kind of mystery. I bet we don't even have to pay the cover charge. Deputy Thorne, I think you better school Lydia on how to inform suspects of their Miranda rights. Yeah, Miss Loveless, it's simple. After you cuff or zip-tie the wrists of the suspect... And good luck with those zip-tie thingies. You just read this card to them out loud. Edwin Sleazag Hair Club for Men. Any patch of hair miraculously regrown. That's the wrong card. Here, this is the right one. Just keep it. Well, thanks, Lauren. I think I can handle things from here on out. Oh, uh, wait, that's no, not No, wait, how. just, uh... Well, I didn't want to go in there anyway. Dirty old place. Yeah, this used to be a great magic touch oriental spa. Those were the good old days. The Marquis says that this month they're playing host to the Australian men of the Didgeridoodle Review. What do you think that's about, Chief? 
I don't know, Thorne, but uh, I reckon we shouldn't waste the free time that Lydia Loveless has so graciously granted us. You want to nap in the car or play ultimate frisbee? Nap, of course. Several hours later, twilight encroaches upon the sheriff's cruiser parked outside the Shipping's Well all-male dance show club as Lydia Loveless emerges from the building. Well, we're out of here, boys. I swear, I've been in there sweating it out while the local constabulary sleeps on the job. Did you find out anything? Yep, these Chiffin's Whales boys are a nasty lot. Here's a bunch of money. Filthy lucre. Yeah, uh, you smell a little weird, Lydia. Kinda musky. Well, at least I retrieved the stolen tips. And everybody inside is satisfied. Nice work. Say, I think this deputized thing is gonna work out, Chief. If you say so, Thorn, but eh, this money is, well, kind of moist. Sheriff Coors, it's like my aunt. Aunt Zelda used to always say, some people are as lost as last year's Easter egg. Now let's head to the wig shop. Some part of that stack of bills must be my reward money, the way I figure it. Hey, Edwin Slezak recommends that place. Chief, let's go. Deputy, I still got every hank of hair that God gave me when he put me on this earth as a baby. Lydia, you ready? Yeah, punch it. Damn, spilled my coat. Men in Charge is brought to you today by Rugs. Listener, how many times has this happened to you? You're up at 2 a.m. heading to the bathroom for the 11th time since you went to bed, and your foot catches a splinter from your worn-out wooden floor. This is, of course, the 11th foot splinter of the night, and they're really starting to work their way in. Oh, 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 oh. In your fury, you hurl a lamp at the offending wooden floor, starting a fire that spreads across your bedroom floor, down the hall, into your neighbor's apartment, and soon engulfs the entire building, driving you and your neighbors out into the street. It's cold out here. Listener, that's no way to live. Why not try placing a rug over that splintery wooden floor? New from Rug Technologies, our patented rugs are made from woven fibers of other rugs we found in dumpsters and landfills over the course of many years. So, on your next late night trip to the bathroom, why not keep your feet warm and 40% splinter free with a rug from Rug Technologies? From ash gray to beige, Rug Technologies offers a rainbow of colors. Come on, listener, stop the foot infections. Order a handsome new rug right now, tonight, before 2 a.m. And now it's time once again for A Man Called Bambi. Part 7. The Battle of the Bambies. The man called Bambi, 
who finds himself in Manhattan one October evening in 1948 in an ill-fitting trench coat with the name tag Bambi stitched over the pocket is running from something or to something. He has no idea. In our previous episode, Mr. Bambi had fled the slow-moving train carrying him and his inadvertent companion, Michael the novelist-slash-bartender, leaving her to contend with the mafia goons Aiden and Largo, who have been pursuing them. Why did Mr. Bambi vanish? Two reasons. First, the actor playing him was not available at the time of the recording. And second, Bambi figured that if Aiden and Largo chased him alone, Michael would be safe. Third, to be fair, he also sort of panicked. So, three reasons not to. But Bambi's plan worked out poorly. Aiden and Largo didn't see him flee, so they kept pursuing Michael. And even worse, Bambi left behind his ill-fitting trench coat, which contained the code book, which is what the Mafia goons had wanted all along. Bad news all the way around. Ah, well, isn't that just fine? An evening that began badly has continued to deteriorate. It turns out that October in Manhattan is pretty cold if you're not wearing a trench coat, however ill-fitting. Also, Michael and that weird street train and those two mafia goons all seem to have disappeared. Mr. Bambi, without either his trench coat or Michael the novelist-slash-bartender, seems lost, unsure how to proceed. Perhaps he needs a narrative nudge. Perhaps he could return to the spittoon? Maybe if I headed back to the spittoon, the bar where this all began. If the voiceover version of me is still there, I can take his trench coat. For those who are not obsessively plotting out this story in a basement room with index cards, push pins, and connecting string, Mr. Bambi's identity is divided in two. One version is the active panicky one we've just been listening to. And the other is his voiceover counterpart, created by novelist-slash-bartender Michael. The voiceover Bambi, as you'd expect, can only narrate. So he was the Bambi who got slammed around by the Mafia goons, while the active, panicky version ran off with Michael the novelist-slash-bartender. Easy, right? Now, stop asking so many questions about what's perfectly obvious to me, the announcer. Let's move things along here. Bambi steps over broken glass to get into the spittoon. Anyone here? Everyone's gone. It's late, isn't it? It's only uh, 3.30 a.m. Isn't this Manhattan? But where's Michael, the novelist slash bartender, who probably just narrates what's going on? Whoa. That was great. You should have seen it. She narrated Mr. Giuliani right out of the bar and into the subway, where he took the train out to Queens. What? How do you know all that? Did you walk along with them? I did not. I remained right here in boozy comfort. I'm simply engaging in conjecture. Ah, you're useless. That you are correct about. 
But do you have another better explanation for why I am the only one left in the spittoon? No, but that doesn't make you any less useless. Hearing voices, I stirred into unhappy consciousness. I felt sticky from the pool of beer that Michael, the disturbingly attractive novelist-slash-bartender, had dragged me into behind the bar to hide me from that toad-slash-mafia don, Mr. Giuliani. Wait, who's that? That's the narrating guy who looks exactly like you, lying down behind the bar. See? Not so useless after all. The footsteps, sound effects, suggested that the original ambulatory Bambi was walking my way. And then, there he was, looking down at me, all pale and surprised looking, but without his slash our trench coat. Whoa there. Hey, uh, sorry about having to ditch you earlier. Yikes. You sure did get banged around by those goons, didn't you? Here, let me help you up. His apology didn't seem very sincere, but he reached down to lift me up anyway. I groaned, but the groaning was drowned out by this narration of mine. Oh, oh wow. I guess we're uh, pretty heavy. And look what you've done to your trench coat. It's got floor muck and broken glass all over it, plus beer stains. He was frisking me as he yacked away. Wallet, check. Code book, check. Say, uh, listen, pal, I'm gonna need this trench coat. Mine got lost. My nervous counterpart started trying to slide my ill-fitting trench coat down off my shoulders. That's right, pal. The trench coat doesn't really fit, so you shouldn't mind me taking it for a while. But the way he interrupted me mid-narration, and frankly, everything else in my entire existence as just an embodied voice, finally got to me. So then, like a moldy orange thrown from a short distance, it hit me. Sure, I wasn't a professional narration writer like Michael, but if she could dispose of Mr. Giuliani and those goons so handily, I could at least narrate my way into keeping my trench coat. Hey, pal, let's not make this difficult, okay? What do you need the trench coat for? Why not just rest here comfortably on the floor? I need to go back outside, find Michael, and get her away from those goons. I decided to take a swing at him. <sighs> just stop it, okay? You're obviously a terrible narrator. You're telling me what you're going to do. That's called warning me? There's no way you can... Ah! While he was busy congratulating himself for his temporal edge over me, I remembered two things. First, I needed to be more specific. Second, my narration is in the past tense, so it describes what has already happened, which now was this. I swung at him again, connecting nicely with his jaw. Ah! But, but during this narration, narration the, the original, original Bambi punched me right back, in, in the, the face where a lot of bruises had already taken up residence. Now, you just quit this and give me the trench coat. I'll bring it back, I promise. Hey, you made me spill my drink. Well, not my drink per se, but still. My next punch was an uppercut, catching him neatly under the jaw and knocking him off his feet and spiraling through the air to finally land on a table across the room, breaking his fall and the table. Ah, jeez. Oh, and that punch I landed knocked him unconscious. 
That's all the time we have now for A Man Called Bambi. Tune in again next time when we'll hear the announcer, that's me, say, Nicely done, Bambi voiceover man. What are you going to narrate now? Even the drunk's unconscious. Go ahead, narrate that. Kevin, because you need to go stand in line to buy sausages, it's your turn to thank the cast. Oh, that is the worst thing that you can say to me, Tony. I meant it Uh, nicely. (laughs) Uh, So for today's episode, we'd like to thank Nisha Schramm, Davis Hill, Kevin Decker, Tony Flynn, Steve Lloyd, Nancy Roth, Ann Porter, Ryan Weldon, and Davis Hill once again. We'd also like to thank our writers, Kevin Decker and Tony Flynn. And we'd also, and and they... Where gratitude is spilling forth also for the Bad Plus, for our theme music, Seven Minute Mind, as well as the many people who somehow are more than four now, Carrie Boyce, Vern Windham, Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, and Savannah Esty, as well as the man who finally sold the last of his baby teeth, Brian Lindsay.